You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Greg. I'm one of the, the pastors here. And uh, in case you forget, it's on my mug. It says, my wife bought me this mug this week. In, in case of emergencies, ask Greg. So it'll be there in case you forget or have an emergency. Um, it's, it's my new preaching mug, so it's, you're going to see it every week now. <laughs> Absolutely, May. All right, uh, so we're continuing our sermon series through Galatians this morning. You know, we've been talking about the freedom that we have in Christ and, and uh, how to live in that and, and uh, how not to stray from that and, and all that, that good stuff. And, and um, but... You know that moment in, in your, your favorite sitcom when the parent and, and the teenager uh, finally stop arguing and they have that heart-to-heart moment? You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, well, this is kind of like what's happening in the passage we'll be reading this morning. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Galatians, uh, he's basically setting aside the, the, the apologetics and the arguments for a second just, just to pour out his heart, just to pour out his heart, uh, to remind them that, that his motivation to speak this truth so bluntly to them is because he loves them, is because he cares for them. Unlike these, these Judaizers, these false teachers that, that have come into their community and, and have shown up and are just trying to, to manipulate them for their own gain. That unlike them, Paul's saying, you know, I'm speaking, I'm speaking the truth to you in love. And um, so we'll be learning what speaking the truth in love looks like and why it's so important for us to be doing it and receiving it as well. So that's what we'll be talking about this morning. So if you want to turn with me to Galatians 4, 12 to 20, we'll go through that. So Galatians 4, 12 to 20. It says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And, and though my condition was a trial for you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They, they want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, that it is good, that it is alive, that, that it changes us, that it molds us. Lord, I pray that as, as we go through it this morning, that you would change us, that you would mold us, that you would challenge us and, and even bring conviction where, where conviction needs to be brought, Lord God, that you would draw us closer to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so everybody knows that being complimented 
is a good thing, right? Or giving compliments is a good thing. You know, to have someone say nice things about us or something we've done, uh, it rejuvenates our self-esteem, right? It, it builds up our confidence, makes us feel good. Um, this is definitely our mandate as Christians, and we need to remember that to encourage each other in the faith. In fact, the first half of verse 18 in the passage we just read reminds us that it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. And in light of our, our unity and salvation in Christ, First Thessalonians 5.11 proclaims, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So, so there's no doubt that as Christians, it's, it's incredibly important for us to be encouraging one, one another and building one another up and spurring one another on in our, in our walks with Christ and in the gifts and passions he's, he's given us. We need to make sure we're doing that. But with that being said, we have to be pretty careful in this as well, because I think that sometimes in our desire to be kind and, and encouraging, we sometimes have a tendency to lie and say something some, say that something's good when it's actually not good right we have a tendency to do that like for example in difficult situations where we see a fellow believer you know straying from god or making poor life decisions or or continually acting out in a way that's in contrast to who we're called to be as christians and, and we're concerned for that person right and and we should probably sit down with that person and have a difficult conversation with them but yet we're so focused on you know, acting loving or, or, or avoiding a serious conversation or, or not hurting someone's feelings, right? that, we, that we push aside or, or skirt around the truth. But I want to ask, is that actually loving when we do that? A good, a good example for this is there's this uh, quirky show on, on Netflix. It's called Haters Back Off. I know Chantel's a fan. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the premise of the show is that there's this 20-something, it's kind of like a Napoleon Dynamite kind of feel kind of show. Uh, the premise of the show is there's this 20-something-year-old uh, woman named Miranda uh, who had grown up um, by being told by her mom that she's this amazing singer, that she's like the, the most amazing vocalist of all time. Uh, she's the most amazing singing voice. And, and so she grows up becoming incredibly confident and conceited as a vocalist, like she's the best thing ever, right? But the truth, however, was that she was tone deaf and has one of those annoying voices of all time. And so, so, the, so in the show... Uh, she basically spends episode after episode embarrassing herself as she pursues a career in singing. And it's, and it's funny. Um, it's good. But basically, she's wasting her life and waiting for that big break because of a lie. Because a, a lie that was told so her feelings wouldn't be heard and so her mom, um, you know, could avoid that awkward conversation. And in the same way, I think when we refuse to, to speak truth to one another as, as Christians, it can have dire or, or concerning consequences if we're not looking out for one another, right? And, and I'm not saying that, I want to clarify, I'm not saying that we need to, to play morality police and, and, and run around tearing one another down and, and pointing out each other's sins 24-7. That's not what we're talking about. Again, as it says, uh, no unwholesome talk should, should come out of our mouths except that, that which will build each other up, right? But we do need to realize, what we need to realize is that part of what it means to build one another up 
and to, and, and to have grace for one another, what it means to love one another and look out for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to be willing to tell one another the truth, to speak the truth in love, even when it's hard, even when the recipient might react poorly. And this is exactly what's going on with the Apostle Paul and the believers in Galatia. This is a hard conversation that he's having with them. Right? He has to tell them the truth, that, that they're in error, that they've turned from God. That they're being tricked. And yeah, he could, he could be like, he, he could have been like, yay, whatever works for you, as, as long as you're trying really hard, it's all good. He could have all been positive like that, and, and that might have made them feel good. But it wouldn't help them in the long run, right? Uh, as Proverbs 12:19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So, so a flattering lie, it might feel good at the time, but it doesn't help or make a make, make lasting change. In fact, it only serves to enhance or condone the problem. Paul's reminding us here by, by his example then that, that we can't shy away from the truth when we're interacting with one another and our relationships with one another because it's the truth that endures and brings change. And that speaking it is, 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 is especially important uh, to those who are heading into temptation or down a path they shouldn't be going, right? Or, or maybe being influenced by, by someone or something that, that might turn them from the faith or, or from their family even, right? That in those moments especially, if we truly love that person, our love should compel us to speak the truth to them, to be honest with them, to have that difficult conversation. As the Bible conveys repeatedly, truth and love... Truth and love are always synonymous. They go hand in hand. One isn't com- complete or full without the other. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16 says it like this. It says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of pe- people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So again, it's through speaking the truth in love that, that, that will grow together and mature as the body of Christ. It's through speaking the truth in love that we're kept from being deceived. And again, this is Paul's motivation in this letter. He's, he's speaking the truth because he loves them. Because he doesn't want to see them deceived, but rather living in the freedom of Christ. Galatians 4, 16 and 18 to 20. Let's read that again. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? He's like, look, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish you could be present with you now and change my tone, for, for I am perplexed about you. So, so in this part of the passage, we, here we see the heart of a parental figure to his children. Right? He's in anguish, he says, with, with the pangs of, of childbirth for them. Not that, not that he'd physically know what that feels like. Um, I, I look like that, but... I wouldn't know what that feels like either, but, 
but still emotionally and, and, and spiritually, right? He's longing for them as a parent, as someone who loves them and cares about them, that, that Christ might be formed in them so that they'll no longer be tossed to and fro by these false teachers, these Judaizers that, that have been leading them astray so that they'll turn back to Christ. So this he tells them is why he's speaking truth to them, not, not for his own gain, not, not to hurt them or make them feel bad or guilty, not, not because they've hurt him. He even says, you haven't hurt me but because he loves them like a parent loves his children, a a parent who's perplexed and in anguish as to why they they choose the path that they're heading down. And it's no wonder that that he says he wishes he could be with them rather than just writing them this, this letter. He wishes they could see him with their own eyes to realize that, that he's simply just speaking the truth to them in love. But on that note, you know, before we go any further, I want to clarify what, what Paul means when he says truth, so, so that we're all on the same page. Because I, I think we often have a, a lopsided idea of what it means to speak the truth in love when we hear that phrase. Oh, we're going to speak the truth in love. I, I, I think we focus a lot on the love side of it, you know, by making sure we're kind and, and gentle and, and encouraging when we have an honest talk about, about something difficult. You know, make, making sure we're not being judgmental or argumentative or arrogant, which, which is definitely good and is definitely part of this and part of what this means. As, as Christians, I'd, I'd say we should be doing that and actually getting better at doing that, at speaking truth with that kind of attitude, especially on social media, right? Because if, as Christians, if we're just arrogantly or, or judgmentally pointing things out simply to prove we're right and they're wrong, or, or if we're tearing people down just to place ourselves up on some moral pedestal, well, nothing good ever comes out of that, right? Most people just interpret uh, rash correction as a, as a personal attack anyway, and, and, and they won't change. They won't change. They'll just change their opinion about you. Proverbs 12:18 says, Speaking rashly is like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, author and pastor Nicholas Davis on that subject writes, In our day, Christians are mostly known for what we're against. Rarely, if ever, are we a people known for what we are. We are a people quick to assert what is right and true, but the way we present our views is not always done in ways that are appealing or compelling. So people need to know that we're, we're for them before they'll listen to us. Right? They need to know we're for them before they listen to us. They also need to see the proof in our lives that, that the truth we have to offer them is beautiful and good and life-changing. And as we offer it to them, we also need to remember the grace we've been given and continually need as well. This is why, this is why Jesus told us to, to look at the plank in our own eye first. Not to stop us from ever, ever correcting or speaking truth to one another, but so that in seeing and addressing our own plank, we remember to have humility and grace as we lovingly address the speck in others, right? So without love, without grace, without relationship, what, what we say will usually just be met with rejection and even hostility. So it's good for us to remember that, that, that when we speak truth, it should always and only be done in love, you know, with wisdom, with patience and grace. And just as importantly, part, part of, of love is bearing one another's burdens, right? 
So we need to have a willingness to, 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 to bear the burdens of those we're speaking truth to, or don't bother at all. But with that being said, we certainly can't neglect the meaning of the truth side of the equation either. Uh, because I, I want to make sure we understand that when, when Paul says truth, he's talking about more than just being honest and, and not lying. Right? He's talking about more than just telling the truth and, and not lying. Right? It's deeper than that. Um, as we see throughout the letter, the truth he's conveying them, which, which he believes will both correct them and build them up, is the gospel truth. It's the, the word of the Lord. It's our salvation by faith through grace. That's what he's been proclaiming to them throughout the letter, right? As, as Tony Reinke writes, our call to speak the truth in love to one another is gospel-oriented. As we gather, we, we find opportunities to speak the truth of the gospel to one another. This is how we serve and protect one another doctrinally. This is how we build one another and, and build unity in our churches. This is how God gives grace to others through us. At its core, we speak the truth in love when we care enough to speak the gospel into the lives of those around us. This is God's everyday calling for every Christian. So this is what Paul's exemplifying for us here. And this is, this is our mandate as Christians to continually proclaim to one another the truth of the gospel, especially to those who are slipping away from it. That if we truly love one another, in, in good times and hard times, we'll proclaim the truth to each other. Like, like in times of thanksgiving, we'll, we'll proclaim God's faithfulness as, as we rejoice together. In times of shame and, and guilt, we'll proclaim the truth of his mercy and, and his forgiveness. In times of grief or, or weakness, we'll proclaim his grace and comfort. In, in times of, of sin, you know, we'll, we'll proclaim repentance and, and Christ crucified. In times of sadness and sorrow, we'll proclaim his, his hope and resurrection and life. Right? We're called to proclaim the truth and love at all times, at all circumstances. And yes, as we've been talking about, sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes we'd rather not. Like when we're having, when we need to have that conversation with someone about their, their sinful conduct or their apathy or, or their unchristlike life choices, right? Sometimes it's easier to just say something nice and, and affirming and, and move on, right? Just say something they want to hear so that, that we don't have to deal with the drama. It's certainly easier to say, ah, you know, whatever works for you and makes you feel good, rather than saying, you need to lay down your life and pick up your cross. Sometimes it's easier to just ignore the issues that someone else is having and just not say anything at all, right? You know, under the guise of, of, of tolerance or not being judgmental or something like that. But think of it this way. Would, would a parent just ignore their child if, if he or she was running into the street? Would he just not say anything? See it? Paul's showing us that he can't not say something to these people who are turning from God because he's for them. He loves them too much to lie to them. He loves them too much to not say anything at all. You know, even if it doesn't make them feel good in the moment, even though they're responding to him negatively with hostility, right? He can't just watch them head down the wrong path. 
Like, like parents who will warn their teenage son about that friend who's being a bad influence on him, knowing full well that their son will probably get angry at them for saying that. But in their love, they, they just can't sit by and quietly watch their son head down a path to destruction. They have to say something, right? In the same way, Paul sees the Galatians being deceived by these false teachers and being pulled from the gospel truth. So in his love, he has to say something. And so should we to one another. And of course, there's, there's a time and, and place to speak hard truths like this to one another. Sometimes we have to be patient and pray for the right opportunity and check our motivation first. But the point is, is that if we love one another, we'll look out for one another. We'll protect each other's freedom in Christ and build one another up in it by speaking the truth. John 8, 31 to 32. So, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So again, if, if we love one another, we'll proclaim the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. We'll, we'll, we'll continually point each other to Jesus. And in the same way, whenever we proclaim that truth, we need to remember to do it in love. We need to speak the truth in love. But let's put the shoe on the other foot now and ask ourselves this. How do we respond to those who are speaking hard truths to us? That's usually the hard part. How do we respond to those who are speaking hard truths to us? Like, 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 how do we respond when someone close to us, a best friend or a spouse or, or a mentor maybe, takes us aside and says, look, you have an anger problem you need to get control of, or you have a bitterness issue and you, and you need to forgive, or you're making a bad life decision that, that isn't in line with the gospel. You know, if someone came up to you and said something like that, would you receive that as like an eye-opening moment? Or would you perceive that kind of conversation as, as insulting and get defensive? So how, how do we usually react to advice or correction? With humility or, or with, you know, with, with, with stubborn anger? It says in Proverbs twelve fifteen to 16, the, the way of fools seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once. Shut up, you don't know me, right? But the prudent overlook an insult. So that's the question. How do we usually respond? Well, the Galatians, they, they don't seem to be responding that well to Paul at all. In fact, Paul writes to them in verse 16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, we Unfortunately, we don't have access to any previous conversations between Paul and the Galatians, but, but it's safe to assume that they've been interpreting his words as, you know, evil and, and unkind. Like, like, like Paul's against them, like Paul's against them by not letting them, them do what they want or whatever, right? And this is even more impactful and, and, and crazy when, when we read how close and how loving and compassionate They'd been with Paul before all this. Galatians 4, 12 to 15 says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You, you did me no wrong. But remember, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? 
For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So when, when Paul first showed up in, in Galatia, he had some sort of ailment. No one really knows what it was. Probably some visible physical problem that, that he, was, he was struggling with or, or could have been a spiritual thing. We don't know. But, but either way, they accepted him regardless of that. And, and they received him as, as if he was Jesus himself. They, they honored him as they received the gospel message Paul proclaimed to them. Paul even says they, they would have gouged out their eyes for him, which is super gross, right? Um, no one really knows what this means either, but, but most likely it was an expression that meant, you know, they'll do anything for him. But since that time, they've, they've changed, like, complete 180. They now look at Paul with disdain. Like they're looking upon the face of evil himself. The the truth has become offensive to their ears. So what happened? Well, in this case, Paul writes, they've been fooled. They've been manipulated. Galatians 4.17 says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They they just want to shut you out that you make much of them. So this is textbook manipulation, right? Getting someone to trust you and look up to you and confide in you by using fake praise and and flattery and kind words and acting sympathetic and supportive. As clinical psychologist Leon F. Seltzer writes, praise has its dark side too. Much more than we typically realize, it can constitute a kind of verbal bribery offered primarily to serve the interest of the person offering it. If they want to get you, as it were, to the negotiating table, they may contrive to butter you up in advance, so you'll be more inclined to agree to some bargain they wish to introduce you to, a deal that probably will benefit them substantially more than it will you, in shrewdly seducing you into feeling really special, whether it's getting you to see yourself as substantially more intelligent, perceptive, popular, laudable, etc., than you ordinarily do, they may make you feel a certain indebtedness to them. And without consciously realizing it, you may be more willing to make compromises with them, bend yourself to their will, or do their bidding when they suggest some mutually beneficial arrangement. So this is what's happening. And this is the same tactic that, that the devil uses towards us, right? It's the same tactic used in the garden with Adam and Eve, pretending he's on their side, promising them knowledge, telling them God's holding out on them, that they're, that they're smarter than, than God's letting them be, right? So, so that they'll distrust the God who is actually on their side, right? And, and like that, these manipulators, these, these Judaizers that have come into the community, they're, they're making much of the Galatian believers. But as Paul points out, not, not for a good purpose, for a bad purpose, for, for their own pride, to, to exploit them, to take advantage of them, to get something from them, so that the Galatians will make much of them. Unfortunately, the Galatians have fallen for this, and they've also been manipulated to shut Paul out as well. And so the response to him has been aggression and anger. And they, they, they don't want to hear what he has to say because it means, that, you know, it means that they're wrong. It means they'll have to admit that they're wrong. They prefer instead the flattery and, and, and the tickling of the ears of these Judaizers. But let's be honest, right? It's sometimes it's, it's hard to admit or realize we're being manipulated, whether it's by others or by our own heart or by certain temptations, right? Because, because these things will make us feel good, right? They, they condone our actions. They tell us what we want to hear. As it says in Second Timothy Four, three to four, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, 
and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is basically what's happening in the Galatian church. But that begs the question for us. Is, is it happening to you, to me, to us? Who are we choosing to listen to? We should be humbly listening to those, you know, those who love us and, and care about us. Because it's more likely they have our best interests at heart and, and care about our well-being and our faith, right? So if someone we love and trust sits you down with concern on their heart, we should listen to them and receive what they're saying, even when it's hard. And that takes humility, right? That takes humility. But sometimes the, the thing we want to hear isn't what we need to hear, right? Sometimes we need someone to, to give us a shake and say, hey, get over yourselves, right? I say, hey, you're walking in the wrong direction. We need to hear the truth. We need to hear the truth because it's the truth that will set us free. And as the, the verse we read in Proverbs earlier implies, choosing to listen to truth and advice is, is the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Which is exactly why, why Paul called out the Galatians earlier when he said this very thing in Galatians 3 verse 1. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You see, they're, they're acting the, the fool by refusing to listen to truth from someone who loves them and instead listening to the lies of those who flatter them for their own gain. We need to, to learn from that, right? And, and, and on that note, I, I want to spend the last bit of my message this morning going through uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament because it, I, I think it perfectly highlights the dangers of using and listening to, to flattery and positivity rather than, than, than listening or hearing, to, or hearing God's truth, right? So um, we see that contrast in this story. So it comes from 1 Kings 22, and it's pretty long, so I'm not going to read all of it. Don't worry. But I'll summarize and read just enough so that, that we get the idea and we can, we can learn from it, hopefully. So it starts out with the, the king of, of Israel, Jehoshaphat. He's visiting King Ahab um, uh, in, in Judah and inviting him to go to war against the Syrians who are still supposedly occupying uh, some of their land from a, a war that ended three years ago. So they've had like three years of peace, but, but um, the king of Israel is like, hey, I want to go to war. And, and the king of Judah likes this idea. Um, but they both wisely decide at the council of Jehoshaphat, you know, we better make sure this is God's will. So they call a bunch of prophets in to consult with them. So that's where we, we catch up in 1 Kings 22, 6-9. It says, So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Hmm. Is, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom, whom we can inquire of? And the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but, but I hate him. I hate him because he never, he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Oh, the king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. So meanwhile, as the, as the messenger went off to find the, the prophet Micaiah, the 400 prophets con, 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 continued to confirm with gusto and, and much to, to his delight that the king Ahab will be victorious if he goes to war. 
And this is what happens next. So 1 Kings 22, 13, 18. So the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, the other prophets, without exception, are, are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, Well, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he, when he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. And the king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, truthfully this time, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. In other words, King Ahab's going to die. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Isn't that how we often react to the truth when it's told to us? And you can probably guess what happens after this. Micaiah confirms his prophecy again that King Ahab will die and if he, if he goes to war. And, and, and then he tells them as well that these other prophets are basically all just yes men that are, that are just going to send him to his death. In other words, they're basically only tell, telling him he'll be victorious to, to impress him and, and make themselves look good in his eyes. All 400 of them. They all just want his favor or whatever. King Ahab, though, choosing to interpret Micaiah's prophecy from God as evil and, and negative, simply because it isn't what he wants to hear, chooses to believe the 400 prophets because, you know, they stroke his ego. And so he goes to war. And of course, as Micaiah declared in the ensuing battle, he, he catches a random arrow in the chest between his armor and he dies from his wounds. This supposedly bad, evil prophecy ended up being a good prophecy after all because it was the truth. He should have humbly listened to warn it. Whereas the 400 false prophets, they may have made the king feel good and powerful with their flattery and their lies by, by telling him what he wanted to hear, but in doing that, they, they actually sent him to his death. So this is such a great lesson in how important it is to not only speak the truth in love and how harmful it can be when we don't, but also to remember to, to listen to it with humility when it comes our way as well especially when it comes from people who, who love us and, and care about us. And even when it's hard to hear, or when it's not what we want to hear, even, even, even when it's humbling, but because it's what we need to hear, because the truth is what will set us free. So in conclusion then, as, as Paul exemplifies for us to the Galatians, in our love for one another, let's speak the truth. And as we speak the truth, let's do it in love. And on that note, I just want to read right now the foundation of our truth and let that speak to you this morning. First Corinthians 15 says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This, this is the truth that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that as you declared, if we abide in you and in your word, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Lord, I thank you that 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 is true, that that is real. I thank you that I've experienced that. I thank you for for those in in this congregation that have experienced that truth. That in your truth, there's, there's freedom. Freedom from guilt and shame and sin and from having to do works. Freedom to live in, in, your, in your grace and in your glory and in your love. And Lord, I pray that, that you would remind us to, to never neglect watching out and protecting one another's freedom in this place. That as believers, we should be watching out for one another. Drawing each other back to you, Lord. Pointing each other to to your mercy and your grace in all circumstances. Lord, I pray that we would not shy from speaking truth and love to one another. Lord, and in the same vein that that that, that you would humble us in those moments when we need to receive truth. Where we need to receive correction. Where we need to be drawn back into your presence, Lord. That you would help us to be, to be humble enough to receive that and be changed by it. But Lord, above all, I thank you that, that your truth sets us free. Lord, that your death on the cross set us free from, from the guilt and weight of our sin. Lord, that in your resurrection we've been set free to live a life empowered by your Holy Spirit to proclaim your name. Lord, I pray that you would continually help us to walk in that freedom and live in that freedom, Lord. We praise your name. Amen.